Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Yang Gang Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Schaub, here with my co-host, Connor Mabon, and today we're talking to Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen started Build the Floor and is an advocate for a universal basic income. Uh, how are you doing today, Larry? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, so one of the first things I wanted to ask you about is you were just at the Basic Income Earth Network Conference in India um, with a number of people uh, from, I think, maybe 35 different nations is what the website says here. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be invited to speak at the Basic Income Earth Network gathering the conference in India. It's uh, a conference that takes place every year right now. Uh, the, just to give a little context, the BIEN network, the BN network is the Basic Income Earth Network, was founded in 1986 with academics, researchers, students of social policy, people who had heard about this idea about basic income from all corners of the world and found a way to find each other to bring together the latest research and talk about this policy, this, this great idea that had been around for so many years but had sort of disappeared from the public discourse. So this conference brings together a lot of these uh, academics, uh, activists, and people from all corners of the world to connect with one another, share what each country is working on and what are the different developments going on in each country, and see how we can share, collaborate, and cross-pollinate getting basic income to become a reality, whether it's in one country or in all different countries. I was asked to, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just about to, I, I want to hear what you had to say, but I was just about to ask you kind of how you got into all this, but I, I want to hear you expand on what you were just going to say. Oh yeah, sure. So I was fortunate enough to, to speak at India. I got to speak about sort of the Andrew Yang phenomenon, speak about how the topic of basic income had become more relevant to not just the conversation in general within the United States, but the political conversation, how Andrew Yang's rise both politically and sort of as a broader movement about basic income and the idea of human-centered capitalism, how his explanations as to why basic income was so important in connecting with voters and, and the, the public at large here in the United States, how that was impacting the, the discourse around UBI. My, my additional role is also as co-founder of the Humanity Forward Fund, which I believe you interviewed my co-founder, Seth Cohen. Yeah. Uh, no relation. But no relation. No yeah. relation. So, somehow we found <laughs> each other, but no relation. Just happened. Two Cohens in, uh, in LA. But uh, so you chatted with him about how we're working to create the, the ecosystem, the foundation to support concepts like UBI and to advocate for Andrew's, uh, Andrew to become president to help push forward a human-centered capitalism, human-centered economy moving forward and what we're trying to do with that. And I can go more into that. But they had asked me to speak about both the work that I was doing with the, the Super PAC and also to explain the broader things going on here in the United States because as much as we'd like to think that everything going on here is broadcast to the world, there were, I think, like you said, either 35, around between 30 and 40 different countries represented at this conference. Everyone working in their own context about why basic income is important with the latest pilots, studies, uh, the latest information that was coming out of each of the countries and the latest <clears throat> activism. So it was really a sharing of ideas and updates. It was an opportunity to catch people up as to what's going on. And right now, what's going on in the U.S. is really sort of at the forefront of the basic income movement. Everyone's very excited. Everyone's looking to the U.S. to help become that 
forward leader again, that beacon for moving forward the concept of EBI, the concept of, of human-centered capitalism, and really push the conversation forward. Yeah, so how many people, like, specifically from America are kind of at these events? Is it like, because I know, I think Scott Santens was at this event uh, as well. Is it like a big group of you guys? Do you guys all know each other? In that context, unfortunately, Scott was unable to make it at the last moment, um, which is unfortunate because he is, I, and I can get more into sort of my background because he is the inspiration for how I learned about basic income. I read his writings on Medium uh, back in 2014, I believe, and that's when I started to learn about basic income. And, and through him, he is one of the primary drivers that has led me to my activism. So I, I credit him a lot. I was bummed I wasn't able to see him at the event. But I'd say at the event, there were probably... 15, 10 to 15 people from the United States. Some of us didn't know each other, uh, even though we may be advocating for, you know, the, the same subject, we just may not have crossed paths. Uh, we just may not have come across each other on social media or just in general. So again, is, is, in as big a country as the United States, you could have supporters of an idea and you'd have to go basically halfway around the world before you bump into each other and really share and connect with one another on a personal level. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, again, representing so many different countries and so many different perspectives and finding out what's been going on in all these different countries is fascinating because, again, we're not the only ones working on this idea. This idea has been around for generations. Mm -hmm. The concept and the work around advocating for this idea is, has been an active, uh, it's been going on across the world for, for mm. decades. That's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what I'm uh, curious about is what other countries have been implementing or are they experimenting with it? Like what other countries are we seeing around the world um, participating in this, in this um, I guess, movement? Sure, there's a lot to draw from. I can speak as to the, the latest happenings. I'd say some of the biggest, uh, most interesting things going on. There's a large movement in South Korea that is providing a youth basic income, that is providing young people with a basic stipend so that they can pay for their basic necessities. And that is actually being provided in a local currency so that they would be spending locally and making sure that their contributions are going directly back into the local economy. And they're experimenting with that. Uh, you have in Germany, uh, there's an experiment starting to take place where people it's, and again, these, some of these are not even basic income by, by what we consider the definition of basic income-esque and unconditional cash payments of some sort. And so in Germany, there is a movement. So when people qualify for benefits, but if they miss a, an appointment or for some reason they get dinged and they get docked some of that income, uh, this program actually will provide the income that they would have lost back to them so that they can't really lose it per se. So it, it makes it unconditional. So they... So there's no penalty uh, for, for an unfortunate event, and that sort of makes it into a basic income, what they're receiving. So there's a number of different experiments in different ways than what we consider the experiments here in the United States, which is just a cash payment uh, provided to somebody unconditionally. There's also, uh, I think, one of the really most meaningful moments at the conference was a panel that had recipients of a basic income from several different pilots all on the stage together all sharing their own experience. So we had a representative from Kenya who had received a, a uh, basic income through Give Directly. We had a recipient from Canada 
who was a recipient from the, the pilot that had gone on a couple of years ago that was unfortunately prematurely stopped by the newly elected conservative government against the campaign, campaign promise that they had made. Uh, and there was a recipient from Germany where a crowdfunding organization is providing basic incomes to individuals, whoever applies to this website, almost like um, Kickstarter, you can apply for this website and you can receive a basic income for a year. And, and so one of the recipients of that was there as well. And so we got to hear personal stories from each of the recipients speaking about how impactful and important a basic income meant to them, how it provided financial security, how it improved their life, how it impacted their their day to day and how it really helped them. So it was really fascinating to have members from all these different types of experiments and examples of basic income from different countries, all sharing such meaningful, similar responses about how important and impactful and powerful having a basic income was. I think that's great that you have people providing testament to it because I know a lot, a lot of people from, I mean, maybe even both sides of the aisle could write off UBI as like, oh, people are going to go spend it on useless things or they're going to go, um, you know, buy, you know, purchase vices with it. But it's nice to have people with testament saying that, no, this is actually very practical and very useful in my day-to-day -day life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing to have the data say that, you know, the World Bank shows that through the experiments that have been done, there is no increase in vices or any uh, increase in, in tobacco or spending for other things that you might not want to think about uh, being uh, used with a basic income. Uh, you can have all the data in the world, and I think this conference helps explain how the data is one thing, but hearing from people's stories and from their personal perspective about how it's changed their life and improved their life and how it's changed the trajectory of what they are doing with their life. Um, one of my favorite examples is uh, the Canadian recipient, Jesse Gollum, was a photographer or an aspiring photographer who was able to use this basic income to restart her photography business. And what was so impactful is that when the pilot was canceled, she decided to focus her efforts on capturing the stories of Canadians who had had a basic income through this pilot and then lost them, where she was able to take portrait shots of the recipients sharing their stories on a giant white card and explaining to people very powerfully through her pictures how important and impactful a basic income was to these people's lives. I think that was, that's, yeah. That's fascinating. Is there, is there somewhere where our listeners can go to, um, to see, see videos of that or see her work or... Um, absolutely absolutely you can search for humans of basic income where i believe there's a website humans of basic income and there's also a twitter following through her uh, and she has had her work featured on the huffington post in canada and a lot of other different sites so you can just search humans of basic income that should come up because yeah it's it's just an example yet another example of the power of having some financial security what are the things people do with it and for her it was to find and have the opportunity to restart her passion for photography and make it a thriving business. But then when it was taken away from her, it still gave her the opportunity and the conviction that she needed to share these people's stories and, and make sure the rest of the world didn't forget about them. What are some of uh, the biggest challenges? I guess I have two questions that this faces. Um, I was talking to somebody on the podcast yesterday. Uh, he's a software engineer. And he's a big supporter of UBI, but one of 
the things that he asked me was, how are we going to stop? So if Andrew Yang gets elected, what is the incentive for like a presidential candidate to not just continually promise a higher universal basic income, if that makes sense? What, so yeah, what are the kind of the challenges that, that this faces and how would you respond to that? Well, I think any thoughtfully designed basic income or in, in Andrew's case, the dividend, right? The freedom dividend, the idea that you would enshrine it into law and you would have sort of safeguards around what could be sort of increased or decreased or what could be done with it uh, over time. So that the concept should be something that people connect with, but the details are when it sort of comes to lawmakers who are trying to make the trade-offs and figuring out what to do with how do you build this policy into law. I think that there's a clear opportunity for the public to weigh in as to once we have lawmakers dedicate themselves to providing a basic income, uh, providing a dividend to its citizens, what that dividend looks like. And it is something that I think is well within the confines of any other law that's created, right? Like people could have always said, oh, we can't pass social security. What if people raise it in the future? What if people lower it in the future? And you have the public discourse that takes place whenever those changes are proposed, right? So social security, once it got passed, is one of the most protected programs in, in our country's existence. And there are always conversations about what you might do with it, but that's when the public gets involved. That's when you mobilize people to take action and to, and to fight for what they believe is the best way forward with it. So I, I think it, it, it sort of falls into the category of just like any other law, right? We, we talk about it, we advocate for it, we fight for the best possible position for it, and we think about how do we build it with the future in mind, right? Those are all things that we do with all other laws. I think this would be no different. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I just didn't know necessarily how to respond to that question when I was asked yesterday, and I thought there'd probably be nobody better than you. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So you've been attracted to this idea for a while. I know you started Build the Floor in 2017. Is that correct? Yeah. So, yeah, I can, I can go back a little bit in, into my history. So I learned about basic income through the writings of Scott Santons back, I believe, in 2014. From there, the idea, once I learned about it, I thought, how have I not heard about this idea before? How has this not come across in the classes that I took? I, I majored in nonprofit leadership and development and had an interest, a, a minor in entrepreneurship. And so I'm like, how did this idea not come through in any of my classes? How did I not hear about this? So while this idea was sort of sitting in my head and, and burrowing itself farther and farther into my brain, I was working at Tom Shoes, which is a shoe company where if, when you purchase a pair of new shoes, a pair of new shoes is given to a child in need. And so when I graduated college, I thought, ooh, this is a really interesting business model that combines the socially minded mindset of helping others and the social component, but with a sustainable business model of being a for-profit company. I thought, well, that's the real way to make change because I hadn't, had, I hadn't yet heard about basic income. And with my work there, I, I continued to work there and I thought you know, we were making an impact and helping improve children's lives with different products being provided and services being provided to children and adults around the world who really needed it. But I started to see it as a really big, just a, a drop in the bucket. I thought, as Andrew put it much later, like a bathtub with a giant hole in the bottom. And we were helping fill these, these holes and children were being helped for sure, but it wasn't able to address the more systemic challenges that were growing and building. And those were, Hale, those sort of were there before even the conversation that entered my brain about 
automation and technology and disruption, where I saw even my own job in the logistics and operations world having the, the potential to be totally automated. In fact, I saw the software that would be able to do that. I thought I was well-trained and I would be capable of doing this job, but a machine could do it better. And there was nothing stopping the company at some point or any company. And yeah. It would make sense for them to adopt technology that would make me obsolete, even with years of skills and, and training under my belt. So when I read Scott's articles from a technological point of view, and that was the opening to learn about basic income, learn about the history of basic income, the, the academics and the scholars and the, the crowds that were in favor of this idea just a few decades ago, and to realize that this might be a potential, not a solution, but a foundation for what a future should look like in a 21st century society such as ours, I thought I have to get involved. I have to do more than just be a cheerleader on the sidelines. So I took time to start Build the Four in 2017, and, and sort of get myself immersed in the UBI culture, which is how I got to meet Andrew uh, in late 2017 at a UBI conference. That's where we connected and I learned about his, his passion for this idea and his worry about where technology was leading us and how we could shape a society where that technology was actually a benefit for everybody. And that would be allowing us to free ourselves from the, the, the struggles that we were currently putting ourselves into with, this, with the system that we had. So that was really where him and I sort of gotten, got to know each other. And that's when I learned when he was uh, interested in running for president. Well, I like, I like what you said um, just a couple minutes ago about how UBI is um, not necessarily a solution, but can provide a foundation. I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up, especially in the national media when, you, when, he, uh, when people talk about him, say, on like CNN or one of the major news networks. Some people, I feel like, in the audience might write, him off, write that off as just being like his sole solution to all of the country's problems. But I like what you said of how it could provide a foundation to then further address, you know, uh, the challenges me. we have remaining, right? It's exactly that, that's why I named my my website and the work I was doing build the floor because it really is about building that floor for all Americans for anyone of any country who develop who adopts a basic income like policy, ensuring a, a foundation a floor of economic security is the critical piece that's missing to allow us to be able to start dealing with all the remaining problems. Having a little bit of income to pay for your basic needs is not the solution to everything but it provides foundation to tackling all the remaining problems, right? Well, it creates a, it creates a domino effect because as it, it starts from the individual and then you get more and more and then it builds into community, then it builds into city, then state, and then it can reach the federal level. So it's definitely, it could be a domino effect um, as it starts to benefit people on the individual level and they themselves start kind of changing things around or be able to pay you know, a dead off or fund a photography thing that they may have put off on the side. Um, yeah, they, it's, it, it's, there's, there is such an impact in one's mindset. I mean, the studies show this, the data shows this, but again, it just simply, simply is basic. It doesn't solve all problems, but it makes all problems easier to solve, right? It's just as simple as that. You can start addressing the other challenges you're dealing with much more in a, in a specific way, in a long-term way, in a way that, that you can control, right? The insecurity and anxiousness that people feel by their jobs being disrupted, by their livelihoods being disrupted, that permeates every part of everyone's existence. And that doesn't allow us to tackle 
the bigger challenge, not the bigger challenges, but the, just the existential challenges of our time, like climate change, like ensuring uh, a, a fulfilling, meaningful livelihood and existence for everybody. You know, that's, those are the kinds of things we should be working on, but we can't if people can't figure out a way to pay their bills and see how they're going to get past the end of the month, right? That's, right. that's what basic income allows us to do. And it frees us to start tackling those bigger challenges as a society when we develop that trust and level of dignity that each of us should and should have in a society like ours. Can you talk a little bit about the history of this idea? I know it's passed in like in the house twice. Do you know, I, it probably wasn't a thousand dollars a month then, but do you know kind of some of the details about why it didn't pass previously? Sure. The, the history of basic income in the United States at least. I mean, the idea goes back as far as Thomas Paine as a founding father in the United States. There have been debates about this idea in other countries, you know, in the 1800s and leading to the 1900s. In the early 1900s, uh, Huey Long, who was running against Franklin Delano Roosevelt, spoke about not of a, a full basic income, but a, demo, a, a specific amount of money provided to each family uh, to ensure some basic security. And then it came back into vogue in the 60s and 70s when Richard Nixon was uh, talking about the family uh, assurance plan or the, the, the act that would allow families to have a basic income starting point. So, so that was so a Republican president. That was a Republican president that was passed uh, the House twice and had bipartisan support, but it didn't pass in the Senate uh, because Republicans thought that there was an, a large increase in uh, dissolution of marriage so people were having more divorces because of the basic income which turned out to be a misinterpretation of the facts not that you know we might consider that not qualifying a reason for something to not exist today but back then that was something that was really concerning and it turned out the data was misinterpreted and that was actually not a problem whatsoever uh, but also democrats thought that the amount wasn't enough and so there was just an impasse at the time and so the the bill never passed so the opportunity in the late 60s and the early 70s to have this be enshrined into law when you had people like Milton Friedman supporting it from the right and Martin Luther King on the left. This, you know, uh, this bill that had been signed, this public letter that had been signed by a thousand economists at the time saying the basic income was necessary and, and possible. And you had the, all this groundswell and it sort of just disappeared after that, right? For at least a couple decades. Are there any major figures on the right um, talking about UBI? Uh, in this day and age, uh, do you think um, there'd be, uh, well, I guess, <clears throat> excuse me, what do you think it would look like, you know, if uh, Andrew Yang gets elected and he tries to push this through with, I mean, this um, division in politics right now, do you see, uh, how do you see that playing out? Right now, I don't see any other well-known conservative politicians coming out in favor of basic or of the freedom dividend right now. I think that we have a very strong polarization in, in our country in terms of ideas. So if an idea comes from someone who's considered on the left, it's considered a non-starter for someone on the right, just because of where we are with our standing. I think Andrew helps sort of cut through that divide because he views this as a dividend that is provided to all Americans because of the wealth and prosperity and the technological advances of our society as a country, not as any one group of person, a group of people, but it's, it's seen as something that we all get and benefit from, which is why it's so popular as a smaller version of a basic income, but a dividend 
in Alaska, which is a deeply Republican state passed by a Republican governor, as an idea to ensure the value and the wealth and the prosperity of the land of Alaska, some part of that goes back to all the residents of Alaska. So again, it's not that it's impossible for conservatives to support this. The fact that Andrew has been invited on to uh, conservative talk show hosts and podcasts and news stations to share this idea. And the fact, actually the most important fact is that Trump supporters that have come onto the Yang Gang train and sort of seen Andrew as a way of addressing a lot of the issues that they felt Donald Trump was speaking to, they feel that Andrew is actually providing the solutions for. And so I think that's, that's really the important fact to pick up is that Andrew's support among Trump supporters or previous Trump supporters who are now interested in, in voting for him and advocating for his ideas and policies and for him as being president, I think that is the, the focus point. It's he is speaking to people not in a left or a right way, but a, a way forward for America. And people from both sides are responding to that and connecting with that. That's fascinating. So, so you said, uh, Scott's obviously been writing about this for a while. You started Build the Floor in 2017. And I think that this idea has gotten significantly more popular, at least amongst young people in the past year or so. Does that surprise you at all? Honestly, I don't think so. It, does, it didn't surprise me because once I got into it, so I'm, I'm 33 right now. And so I got into this idea when I was 28, when I first learned about it about five years ago. But I think the young people or people around my age, millennials and Gen Z, we're all experiencing the, the facts that have been reported on the data that has been shared, but has not really been digested by the rest of the country, which is that wages are stagnant, that the jobs that are available today are gig work, part-time, no benefits, no security, uh, nothing that we were envisioning when we would enter the labor force because those who came before us, where our parents said, oh, you can do whatever you want and, and find your passion and find a, a career that's meaningful for you. But then when we got into the labor force, there was such disruption and the technological disruption that people were clinging on to the jobs that they had because they were worried if they lost that, then they would have nowhere to go. So you have this whole domino effect where the, the youngest generations, the generations just getting into the workforce and, and getting started to build their lives are, are sort of stuck seeing all the repercussions of the lack of action, the lack of foresight and, and forethought into the policies we need for an, a, in a country that is ever evolving and recognizing the kinds of changes that are taking place in our economy through our technology and what people should be doing for work. What is meaningful work? What is the kind of work people should be focusing on? How do we adapt to society where the kind of work that our parents used to do is no longer as valuable or as needed because we've, we've somehow done the miraculous work of the technology being created to do the workforce, to do that labor for us. Like we haven't really adapted to the fact that all these things are happening and changing. And that is what Andrew is speaking to. I think that is why people see all this wealth and prosperity and yet none of the benefits for themselves. In fact, insecurity and scarcity leading their lives and they're not sure how they're going to build their life going forward. Andrew is really speaking to that understanding why that's connecting with people and, and really charting a path forward for people to get behind. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you think, let's say, let's say Andrew doesn't win, which obviously we have this podcast, we don't want that to happen. But do you think that this could be an idea that basically the left picks up and kind of runs with? Because I know I saw Pete Buttigieg yesterday released a video in support of universal basic income 
we're not seeing like Bernie or any of the big names talk about it yet, but do you think that they could? I think we are at a tipping point where the facts on the ground and the realization of where our country is going, where technology is leading our society and our economy toward, it's going to force this conversation. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on, you have to recognize the challenges that are being faced by the American people and also just people around the world. This idea is a t an idea that has been around for a long time, but has taken on, taken on new urgency because of how we've structured a society to not be able to adapt to all these changes going on. So I think that any politician, if they, if they can really understand and speak to the power of how a freedom dividend, a, a basic income, a, an unconditional safe, uh, floor, a foundational floor for people to be able to build upon, that concept transforms left or right. I think, again, because of our past, we've seen people from both sides of the aisle support it. And going forward, the situation isn't going to get any easier for our economy to adapt to it unless we have politicians from both sides ready and willing and able to speak to the power of this moment and, and take it on as an opportunity to pass a policy that can really improve people's lives at a fundamental level so that we can tackle the other challenges that we will face on top of that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We, we usually ask uh, the people who come on this what their favorite policy is. I, I think that might be an obvious answer. Yeah, I think, I think you know where, which one I would like. <laughs> You but if you had favorite? to choose, yeah, I was going to say, if you had to choose another one, <laughs> what would it be? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, Andrew makes it difficult, right? Because he's got a hundred other policies uh, <laughs> to choose from. I'd say, I guess from a, a simplistic standpoint, I'd say abolishing the penny, not because it's vitally important, but I think it speaks to how Andrew thinks about decisions and thinks about data and logic and reasoning, it's, it's sort of a, a little window into his brain, not just about basic income and not just about, you know, providing a freedom dividend, but understanding what are the facts about what the situation is? What do we know? What are some steps that we can take to address it? Does this make sense? And how does it impact people? And does it just make sense just when you take away the politics of the idea? Does it just make sense in general? Like, we might need this change. And again, it seems simple. But if it was so simple, then why has it not been done yet before, right? So, you know, I, I respect the heck out of his policies on addressing climate change, which I believe he talked about today, uh, and, you know, Medicare for all, and a lot of the big ticket items. But again, just to sort of take a, take a peek into understanding how he thinks and how that kind of thinking is what we need in our politicians and our leaders going forward, I think, yeah, that would be uh, just one to really consider and think about. Well, that's definitely the most unique uh, response to that um, question that we've posed to our guests. So we appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I figured everyone else covered and chose all the other big uh, initiatives. So I figured I'd yeah. just pick the pen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're about um, out of time here. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. What would you do with $1,000 a month? <laughs> That's a great question. In a world where my advocacy for basic income is somewhat complete because basic income and the freedom dividend has been passed into law and people are receiving it, I would probably start to either work on, a, on a, my own small business. I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and I think 
having a, a small business and having some of the ideas that I've come up with over the years, having some firm ground in which to build on those ideas would be one thing. But I think I would also potentially just spend it advocating for the next idea that I felt needed to be done after basic income. Uh, I've been privileged enough to have the opportunity to spend my time and energy supporting this idea that I care so deeply about. I know that that's not the only issue that needs support and advocacy. So probably either work on starting my own entrepreneurial business, but probably most likely advocating for what I think would be the next policy we so desperately need as a country and fighting like hell to make it happen. Yeah, I, I, I sorry, one more question. So did you, uh, did you see anything in India that was like just awesome? I, I, well, in India, it's the acknowledgement that India had a pilot in running from 2011 to 2013 that had, I believe, around 6,000 men, women, and children who received a basic income. And, you know, that, that information isn't really spoken about widely. It's not really widely known, even among basic income advocates here in the United States. It just goes to show just how much has been done in this, in this world and in the sphere of this idea. And the idea that the basic income as a policy was being discussed at, during the elections that just took place in India. So it, it was just fascinating to see a country that is a billion people large having a conversation about the power of the basic income, speaking to their own experiments and speaking about how it would improve their lives and change the way their government is run and change how their society would be run and how they would view one another uh, in that context. I think it's again, it speaks to the power of this idea that it is so broadly looked at and examined and worked on in so many different places. So hearing that from people in India who literally were part of that conversation, and then also just hearing from so many other people in countries where they're doing this work, and it may not be as well known or as broad a movement that has now developed in the United States, but there are just passionate people working on this idea and connecting with them and helping work with one another was really, really empowering. It just, it fed my soul. It really, it really made me feel like we can get this done. Yeah. That's, inc that's incredible. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on with us. Did you have anything you wanted to plug before you, uh, before you go? Sure. I'd, I'd love to throw people some different addresses for people to, to look at. So for basic income, uh, if you want to learn more about the BN Network, the Basic Income Earth Network, their website is basicincome.org. If you wanted to learn more about Humans of Basic Income, definitely Google that and learn about Jesse Gollum and her uh, photography project that she has done with the recipients of Basic Income Pilot in Canada. To learn more about me and the work that I'm doing, uh, my own website, buildthefloor.org. But with the latest work that I'm doing around advocating for UBI and in the context of supporting Andrew, for president, definitely go check out the super PAC that I am part of, the Humanity Forward Fund, and that's humanityfwd.org. Uh, you can get involved with, obviously, people who are listening to this probably are already involved with their Yang Gang and their local regional Yang Gang, but uh, to also get involved to find others in the basic income community and to find others into the space in which you might be able to bring them in share about what it is a basic income would mean for you and, and, and recognize that there are people around the world who also believe in this idea. It is actually, it is not just here in the United States. This idea is bigger than any of us. And it is our work as a global community to push this idea forward here in the U.S. and to inspire people around the world that this can become a reality and we can really change the future, move it forward. 
Well, I think I can speak for both of us. This has been a fantastic conversation, Larry. We very much appreciate your time. Um, and you heard it here, folks. You have all the information you need to, to learn about basic income, uh, learn more about um, Andrew Yang's platform, and uh, build the floor. Um, so, yeah, again, Larry, thank you so much uh, for your time this evening. Pleasure. Absolutely. Take care, guys. All right. You as well. And, and before we wrap it up, we'd like to say one last thing. You know, Evan, how we do it. It's not left. It's not right. It's forward. It's forward, ladies and gentlemen. Until next time. <laughs> thank, thank you for listening. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.